Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and delve into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. This is episode number 45, and I'm Andrew. And I'm Maxie. All right, so today's episode, you know, we talked about maybe shifting gears a little bit. We've had some previous episodes around caseload building and relationship and all of that. And today we're, we're going to be diving into the topic of vulnerability leadership and feeling yucky <laughs> feeling yucky and i'm just i'm just going to put this out there right now andrew did not tell me what we were talking about today but as per usual so i get a slack note from him hey i got a great topic for us to talk about today like you know as i'm leaving the house to come to the lounge <laughs> and i'm like oh here we go well so this is about as organic as it gets this is true riffin and yeah. but as per usual when Andrew told me about what he, he was thinking about for today. I'm like, yeah, that's in line with some of the stuff I'm reading right now and what I'm thinking about right now. So, so then we had to make sure that we stopped talking and that we actually put the record button on because otherwise we'd end up talking before we actually recorded. We do we... the whole podcast before we start recording and then we're like staring at one another. Well, I don't think we'd ever do that. <laughs> no, I don't think that happens. <laughs> so yeah, so I got thinking about this topic in part from some conversations that I've been having recently with clinicians, uh, you know, in, new to practice and seasoned clinicians. And I was having this conversation with a clinician, an educator recently, and he just talked about how PT students, when they, when they graduate or when they're new to practice, that there's really this sense and feeling of not wanting to feel yucky in terms of, and that's actually literally the words. And I said, can you paint me a picture of what <laughs> yeah. yucky feels like? And so I think it, you know, and as he expounded on that, I think it was about this idea of not wanting to feel uncomfortable with maybe not knowing what to do. And, and really, you know, when you're, when you're just diving into new, into practice, you know, there's a lot of things you don't know. And there's this constant feeling of feeling overwhelmed and maybe lost, you know, maybe not feeling like you know exactly what to be doing in these in particular or situations. Or you have to be fancy. Things are complicated and complex and you got to be... You got to have the whiz-bang tools pull yeah, out of your toolbox. Yeah, you got to be magic. So I thought that was really interesting. I was thinking about that as it was relating to my own clinical practice. And, you know, I had uh, the last episode, I had Todd Wolanski talking about Seniors Health and the new Seniors Health Toolkit that Physio Alberta put out. And I was like, you know, after, you know, been reading that and, and just talking with them, I was like, you know, I really got to put some of this into practice. And so, you know, and, and it's one of some of those things where I just haven't done since for a number of years, like doing the tug and doing 10 meter walk test and things that are not necessarily complicated, but I'm just not comfortable doing that in practice. Right. And, and so I was like, you know what, I just got to, just got to jump in and do it. And it was funny because I was like, okay, I'm going to pick it with this patient. I feel pretty comfortable with her, but I had that handout of that toolkit with me as I was doing it. And I was fumbling a bit, I'll be honest. I mean, it wasn't this natural boom, boom, boom. But I was like, if I don't do that, if I don't actually have that with me and actually do it with that patient, the likelihood is I'm not going to start incorporating this into my practice, yeah. right? And I mean, I could say, oh, well, maybe I'll practice that with someone else that maybe isn't a patient and all this kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is, let's be honest, it's just not going to happen. And so there was this sense of feeling yucky, right? If we use that word in practice as I was doing that, but guess what? I've gone now through those tests again. It wasn't that complicated, you know, and now that next time I'm going to be able to, to feel that much more comfortable and start to integrate some of those specific tests and concepts in clinical practice. But it, it just made me think again about that conversation I had around how we have to actually end up feeling uncomfortable 
with what we're doing. Because if not, we're going to keep doing what we're comfortable with. Right. Well, exactly. And so when you're talking about growth potential, and right now I'm reading Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. So Brene Brown is a researcher. She uses grounded theory, which is a qualitative methodology that's really steeped in social social theory, symbolic interactionism, yada, yada, yada. I won't get into that. But it's a really, it's quite a rigorous method. And, and so her research is in around organizational leadership and vulnerability. Fascinating, right? However, like that, and that might sound boring, but it's really not because it, it really speaks to a construct that's, that's quite, that we all feel at some point in our lives, vulnerability. She's shaping it with putting it within the context of leadership. She's also a social worker. So she has a psychological background. So I think that really blends nicely with how she's able to communicate vulnerability and behavior and how we go about Put, move, leaning into discomfort. And, and one of the things that she says is that, you know, as a leader, and I think physical, if we frame physiotherapy and our physiotherapy interactions, we do have a role as a leader, yeah. right? And we have a role in maybe cultivating the leadership skills or, or, or opportunities for our patients yeah. to take leadership as well, right? So when I'm thinking about, about leadership, I think that we can put us as leaders, right, mm. within that, put that, put it into that frame. But what she talks about, one of the things she talks about is, is discomfort, is, is leaning into these situations where we feel uncomfortable and where we feel vulnerable. That's what leaders need to do. So it's very congruent with, with current literature around vulnerability. And you could almost say, if you're not feeling vulnerable at some point, right, are you expanding? You know, as you're saying. And I think what's interesting too is that challenge. I've been in some of these meetings where, you know, you talk about, you know, continuing competence and professionals that are at risk and, and all of that. And, I, and then I think, okay, well, it's interesting because we often, we want to avoid these feelings of vulnerability, of yuckiness, you know, and, and all of that. And we sort of think, okay, we'll, we'll have reached our, you know, pinnacle of practice when we don't feel that way anymore. Right. And I think what's interesting is saying, okay, well, maybe that's not the goal we should be aiming for. And then how do we get ourselves out of that place of maybe complacency or, you know, comfort? Because I think it's, you know, you know, hear that all the time where you're like, oh, well, that clinician is still doing this, this, and this, which has no evidence. And, you know, it's sort of from 15 years ago, but they're basically treating the same way they were from 15 years ago, right? And they haven't necessarily grown or adapted in terms of their practice. And so a couple of things that sort of go through my head is, well, one, how do we keep ourselves from falling into that? What's a better goalpost to be aiming for? And then thirdly is what can we do around, you know, on a sort of ongoing basis to stay in that growth mode, right? And I know we've had, you know, Derry on the show before around, yeah. you know, growth mindset and, and how do we foster that? But I think it, it's just interesting, this idea of what are we really reaching for? We think that the pinnacle is, okay, I just want to feel good. I want to feel comfortable. And, and I think we like that because it, I know for myself that I feel much more in control. Absolutely. But innovators actually do take, and it's a part about risk-taking. How much risk are we willing to take? What is our risk tolerance? And what's safe for our patients as well, right? You know, what's safe practice, right? And competent practice. But at the same time, it's, I think a part of it is, there's so much going, like as we're talking, I'm just going, we got to remember talking about this. We got to remember talking about this. So I'm going to, I'm just going to put some things out there. Reflective practice, right? And how we actually very deliberately reflect upon uncomfortable situations. And when we know when we're going to be leaning into an uncomfortable situation, how we reflect, but also what are the principles and values that we return back to, to give us some stability 
So it's not just about, you know, jumping off a cliff, right, and having no tether. Exactly. Or no parachute, And feeling completely overwhelmed. feeling completely overwhelmed is, is, you know, what principles or values Mm. do we return to? So in clinical practice, it could be, well, these these are my principles. Mm -hmm. These are the principles that I always return to so that when I'm feeling vulnerable, I can return to those and I can see things through that. That's what Brene Brown talks about. What's an example then? So for me, like, because relationship is my gig, uh, there are certain principles that I would return to. It would be about, am I being mindful, right? Am I aware of what's happening between the patient and I? Like, am I, am I in a state of awareness? Am I present? Am I allowing an organic unfolding of the situation or am I trying to impose, right? Mm-hmm. So, so those sorts of the, the principles of unity, we're in this together, but also of autonomy where mm-hmm. I have to be able to allow this person to, they need their individuality as mm-hmm. well. So those are all principles that, for example, when I was doing my psychotherapy training, we had to live in those principles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We had to reside in those principles and we had to demonstrate that through our behaviors mm-hmm. in the interactions that we had with the people we were working with when we were being evaluated, right? Yeah. So for me, it's about a lot of self-awareness and it's also about preparation mm-hmm. as well. So for example, like when I was going into this last year, I've really been reflecting on leadership and my personal yeah. leadership journey. And I've been leading some bigger initiatives, some national sort of level initiatives. And, and that's a scary thing, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of, you know, what is the risk to the organization I'm working with, the other organizations that I'm working with? I'm also working with people that know a lot more about a lot of the things that we're talking about. And yet I'm the one that's, you know, moving the initiative forward. So you, you don't want to feel stupid. You yeah. don't want to out yourself as yeah. somebody who doesn't know this particular area. But that's also... When I'm really mindful about it, that's also a belief that I have in myself, that idea that I'm trying to avoid shame, right? I'm trying to avoid that sense of, of and Brown talks about this, get the book, dare to lead, but you're, I'm trying to avoid shame. I don't want to look stupid. But at the same time, then I'm not acknowledging that all these other people have expertise and knowledge that's valuable. Mm-hmm. So I'm not honoring and respecting what, they're, what they can contribute, yeah. Yeah. right? And I'm not, and that puts me in a position where I'm not accessing it. I'm not actually actively seeking out expertise. So it's limiting me. It's siloing me. So really, it's about when I'm feeling that sense of, oh, somebody's going to think I'm stupid. Well, what do I do? Right? You know, so like for me, strategies are, you know, if, if I'm feeling that in a, in a meeting that I'm chairing, for example, with, you know, deans of faculties or whatever, I'll go, you know what, this is a really naive question. I preface it going like, I'm not sure about this. Right? And so please like help me understand this better. It's acknowledging my, my limitations, but it's also opening up opportunity for other people to step in and demonstrate their expertise. I was reading something recently. It was something on Twitter. I think it was an article about empathy. One of the things that patients found valuable, and this also came out in my research as well, is when therapists say, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. You actually start to cultivate trust. And I also, it was funny because I was reading some feedback from students that I was involved with in some of the classes when I was teaching. A couple of them said, you know, when Maxie doesn't know something, she says she doesn't know it and she goes and finds out. And I appreciate that. And I went, hey, it, it was a good idea to say that, to do that, to honor, like, you know, and not to try and like be a bullshit tornado, yeah, yeah, right? And, yeah, yeah. and, you know, or put a facade, or put, on, put a facade yeah. on that, you know, try and talk my way out of it. So I think that that sense of being authentic, mm-hmm. being yourself, knowing your limitations and being truthful. Yeah. So I wanted to circle back to what you were saying about principles, because I'm just 
you know, trying to put it back into context, you know, from a clinical standpoint and just, you know, that example that I gave, you know, where I was doing these new tests with this mm-hmm. patient, ones that I hadn't done in, in quite a long time. So would you say that the first principles would be okay recognizing, you know what, my goal here is to be present with this patient and perhaps just slow down a little bit and maybe, you know, like, is that what you're thinking of? Like sort of having that intention prior to that interaction and so that you have a better awareness. Oh, you're saying some good stuff here. Like I'm liking what you're saying, intention, intention of presence, because you're going and you've reflected, you're going, okay, this is new to me, is not going to go smooth like a sheet of glass, it's not going to be smooth. There are going to be a few bumps. So you have that intention of yourself slowing things down. So I think what happens when we get that feeling of, you know, discomfort is we start to get activated. Our sympathetic nervous system start pumping up, right? And our our ability to be therapeutic and in a therapeutic presence goes out the window a little bit, right? And so we need to be grounded and, you know, have a bit of compassion for ourselves and go, okay, we're just, we're going to move through this and we're going to move through it slowly and deliberately just as you're saying. So that's a strategy for you that you develop, but, or that you're thinking of, but I mm-hmm. think the key thing that you said is that intention beforehand, you've prepared. Yeah. And, and I was, and I had reviewed stuff. I had prepared some things, but it's always that movement from theory or concept to practice. Yeah. And I mean, no matter how prepared you are, you're just, as you said, you're going to get activated because this is not something mm-hmm. that is, you don't have any nice sort of pathways established mentally to say, mm-hmm. oh, this is what I'm going to do for this. And this is how that's going to look. And you know, what you mentioned about a strategy. I mean, I think I even mentioned that to the patient. I said, you know, this is something that I haven't, you know, I don't do regularly. So I just have to uh, look a few things up here to see where your benchmarks are. And I think that's, that's what you're saying is that, you know, that's a way to, in essence, help the patient understand where you're at and let them be a part of that process with you. Yeah. You know, and that opens up to some vulnerability as well, right? So you're vulnerable, you're vulnerable with not being fluent with the tests and, and the knowledge there, but you're also vulnerable in saying to the patient that you're vulnerable. I think that can be helpful and it can develop a sense of trust mm-hmm. or compassion within the, within the relationship. Hey, Andrew here. Just a quick break from the podcast as I wanted to let you know about an innovative web-based tool that I'm building that's going to help optimize your treatment approach and achieve better results with less stress. The reason I'm building this app is to help myself and other therapists more deeply understand our patients so that we can avoid the potential pitfalls that can jeopardize treatment outcomes. So much of what impacts treatment is hidden below the surface, and this tool will help adjust how you approach each patient based on who they are. Think of it as Outcome Measures 2.0. Make sure to check out the show notes for a link to sign up to get my latest updates. All right, back to the show. In that moment, part of it, and I've I've been doing some more reading just around therapeutic presence, right? And that, that real physiological sense of being able to be grounded, being able to, to activate your, your ventral vagal Mm -hmm. system, you have to be able to be calm too. And so I think we underestimate the amount that we need to calm ourselves. Like we need, we're the barometer, right? For ourselves in terms of what we're doing with the techniques we're using or the interventions we're applying, but also with our patients. So the idea that, you know, in therapeutic relationship, well, we want to be that stable presence, that therapeutic presence, that rock that's there, that's calm, that's observant, that's receptive, that's contacting the patient, Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging them. And then when we do that physiologically Mm -hmm. through a lot of nonverbal cues, right, that activates the patient's ventral vagal system and that helps them calm down and regulate. But it reciprocally helps us calm down. I think there's this idea that we do it to invoke a change in the patient, but really we need 
to be doing it in certain situations where we know that we're going to feel activated. Well, I think it, it touches on the point too. If we're looking at introducing something new in terms of how we're, you know, our practice or whatever, is we've got to give ourselves enough time. You know, we've talked about this before in terms of around caseload and around how environment shapes behavior. And I think that if we're not giving ourselves enough time, well, we're going to get activated that much more. And we're just, we're working against ourselves, I think, in terms of being able to give ourselves the necessary space to allow ourselves to fumble a little bit, to slow things down a little bit, right? Absolutely. That gets transmitted to the patient. So then they're in this situation with this, with these new tests that you aren't comfortable with. And then all of a sudden, how does that affect? how they perform the task. And you mentioned something earlier in our conversation about reflective practice. And, you know, I'm always interested in, you know, the motivation of change and and what we're doing around that. And I think part of it too, is that we have to make sure that we have enough emotional energy ourselves to take on something that feels uncomfortable or yucky, Mm. right? Like that, that if you're having a, a day that you're just wiped, you know, let's say that, you know, you've just been running off your feet. It's just been a draining week. Maybe that's not the time to say, okay, I'm going to now take on something new here and try to incorporate something new and learn and grow in this particular, you know, situation, because maybe you just don't have enough reserve Mm -hmm. personally to take this on, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's like, how are you setting yourself up to be successful and actually looking maybe at the scenario where you're applying a new technique or a new skill or new assessment or whatever Mm -hmm. as a learning opportunity? So you're taking it up a notch from saying, I'm going to apply this technique, I'm going to apply this, I'm going to do it perfectly, or this test or whatever, and I'm going to get a result from it. And it's like, no, if you take it from a perspective of reflective practice, it becomes, this is a learning opportunity, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use it as such, but giving yourself enough space to prepare before you go in. And maybe that preparation involves with a colleague running through the yeah, test, yeah, right? Exactly. It could be like, I know this yeah. sounds really simplistic, but like, you know, it's just run through the test, yeah. go through a, an actual physical embodied experience yeah. of going through the tests and the instructions. And then, you know, you're with your patients and doing that. And then after that, allow yourself time to reflect on how did that go? Yeah. Did that go? Yeah. And really, really like, how did that, like, not just in passing, but like sit down and go, really, how did that go? Like you might want to jot down some notes about Mm -hmm. what you need to remember, like, you know, for the next time, or, you know, it could be anything like that, but it's a bit of a soapbox for me, I'll be honest. But I do think therapists reflect, Yeah, you know, I think we're, and and I think as human beings, we're trying to reflect all the time, Mm -hmm. but I think we skim across the water reflection. I don't think we slow down enough to go a little bit deeper and to, to actually go, this is what's happening. This is how I'm feeling about it. This is what I was thinking. And then trying to synthesize that information. I've been working on some reflective practice work as well and writing an article with another mentor of mine around reflective practice. And we've come up with a, developed a sort of a six step way to operationalize reflective Mm -hmm. practice that goes a little bit deeper and taking it from just, you know, the the flyby. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Oh, that went well. That didn't go well, Mm -hmm. but actually going into, okay, I'm coming into the situation these are the feelings. This is a brain dump. I'm doing a brain dump. This is what's going on for me about it. Synthesizing what I'm feeling and then determining a specific action to take into practice. So it's not just the reflecting, it's actually moving it into action because that should be a part of reflection. 
Otherwise, you just you stall out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then reflecting upon how that action went. And so that's been something, you know, that I've been working on to yeah. try and pull out a little bit more to make it more systematic for me. Well, because if there's a bit of a system, then you don't, you're not always having to f- try to figure out what the process looks like every time you're, you're reflecting. And for me, the way I reflect best probably is doing voice memos. I like journaling, but I find it very contrived. And so like, I don't sit down every morning and journal or every evening, I find it contrived. But what I will do is when, when, when there's something I need to reflect on, what I have been doing is actually doing a voice memo, right? So what I'll do is I'm walking to the train, I will turn on my phone, right? My voice memo, and it looks like I'm talking on the phone. So people don't think I'm crazy, right? Yep. Talking to myself, but I'll go through a process where I'm within 10 minutes, my walk to the train, I've gone through a brain dump where I'm going, okay, I'm going to this situation, blah, blah, blah. I've got to chair this meeting today yeah. and I'm nervous about it. And then figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to move forward with this particular situation mm-hmm. that I'm uncomfortable with? And even the act of talking it out helps you ground yourself because it opens up things that you maybe didn't realize were there or anxieties you didn't realize were there that can bubble up in those situations. But it's all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, now I'm aware of how I'm feeling. And okay, now what do I need to do to make sure I'm grounded in this situation when I go into it? Yeah, that makes sense. I like that because I mean, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, I have to now journal in order to reflect. We have to do something that works with us. Yes, exactly. And that's, I think we get caught up in reflection because we think, well, I have to journal. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to be really onerous. And And then it never happens. And then it never (laughs) happens because it's like, you know, other things need to happen. But for me, that was a part of it. It's like, listen, I, I can't just, I can't sit down in the morning. It's just too contrived for me. And in the evening, I'm tired, you know, and so I was coming up with a lot of barriers around it, right? And it's like, well, listen, what have I done in the past? Well, in my research life, I used voice memos to to pull out thoughts, to help me theorize and work through abstractions. And I thought, you know, this is what I'm going to do with my reflective practice and give it a go. And I'm going to do it at a time when it's not, okay, sit down and reflect, right? It's I'm walking to work. I'm thinking about this anyway make it a little bit more value add, a little more intentional. I think that's often the problem too, as I find is that, you know, we have good intentions of like, oh, I want to, you know, grow or I want to, you know, incorporate this into my practice. And then it never happens, Mm -hmm. right? And it Mm -hmm. becomes a, you know, it becomes something that is a nice idea. And then we move on to the next shiny object or we just stay with what we've been doing because it just feels too overwhelming. I've been reading more recently on like, books on habit formation and habit development. And one of the concepts was around this idea of, can you just focus on improving 1%, right? And I like that idea of like making it small enough and incremental, right? And I think that, you know, that's, I've been reflecting on that to say, okay, you know what, can I say, for example, whether that's once a week or once, once every two weeks or once a month or whatever to say, okay, what am I going to do that's going to stretch me in my practice? It may not be, you know, monumental, but it's going to be an incremental change. That's what I'm going to tackle. And I think that we forget how the way that those kind of behaviors can really add up over time. And, you know, you do like, say, even if it's just once a month, say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick something each month that I'm going to work on. In six months, you are now six steps further ahead than you would have been if you just stayed with the status quo and just felt overwhelmed with all the knowledge and information that's out there, right? You nailed it. It's like, I think we think that we have to do things so quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no. My recommendations for people who are looking at trying to get better at developing relationships is pick one thing, one thing that you want to integrate. That might be, you know, observing your patient 
with your body postures? Or, you know, how does your patient respond when you lean in versus when, when you back up? It could be something so small, so simple, and that you stay with that for however long you want to stay with it. But it's not about learning it all in one day or in a week or in a month. Yeah. It's really about the curiosity, staying in that sense of being curious about yourself, your, your work, your vocation, and, and really trying to grow within it. And I think that that sense of hurry up, figure it out, get it done. It's about then we're, we're doing. It's yeah. about the doing. And I really think settling into the being. Mm-hmm. Who are we being mm-hmm. when we're doing? That's the important thing. I think it comes back down to what we talked about earlier about intention. Can you set that intention to say, okay, this is the one thing, you know, you're going to work on with relationship, you know, as you said, whether it's that posture, whether it's your breathing, whether whatever it is, but can you, can you say, you know what, I'm going to be proactive in thinking and I'm going to set that intention to say, okay, you know what, with this patient today, out of the patients that I see, I'm going to make sure I do X, right? Or maybe I'm going to do that with every single patient. When I, when I walk into that treatment area, I'm going to sit down and be at their level when I see them so that I'm now eye to eye. Maybe that is as simple as it is. Not complicated, but if you didn't think about that beforehand yeah. and set the intention, well, then it's just never going to happen. Yeah. And then you reflect on it afterwards. You don't just go, okay, I did it. Yeah. Now what's the next thing I'm going to do? Because then we, once again, we get into doing. I would even challenge people to say, okay, if I say to you, what is it like when you are doing? What do you feel like when you're doing? And what do you feel like when you're being? And notice the change in state. Notice the shift in your body when you're thinking about doing and when you're thinking about being and get a very tangible sense of your nervous system. We get so caught in doing, we don't recognize how we are affected by that. Our nervous systems are affected by that and then how that projects out as well and affects our learning. It doesn't just affect our patients. It affects our own learning, our own capacity to learn and to grow. I think it affects our learning, but it also affects our ability to perceive. Like I just remember the other day, like I was seeing a patient and, I, and it was one of those things where I just was like, oh, hang on, this is how they're sitting. And it was just this like brief recognition of, of their posture and how that was, you know, and they were having issues with their mid back and muscle spasm and post MVA and everything. And it was just that moment of like, oh, that's different. But if I would have been like really in a big hurry, I would have, I would have totally missed that. Would have missed a key piece of perceiving that helped me now to actually be able to change my treatment planning. Exactly. So we're talking about therapeutic presence, that ability to be receptive. You have to be present and receptive and open. And that sense of curiosity has to be there, right? But if you're focused on get through it, forget it. Like you said, the chances that you miss something like that. And so what did you do? Like, like, what did you, did you contact that with the patient or did you keep it to yourself? I started to verbalize. I said, oh, it's really interesting how you're sitting here. Like she was really, you know, sacral sitting. I was like, well, that's interesting. I said, let's just take a look at see how your hips are moving. And what ended up happening was that her hip mobility was quite limited. And that was actually putting strain through her, you know, thoracic erector spinae. And all of a sudden, you know, we started to look at her hips and that actually resolved her mid-back issues. But I mean, I would have not even necessarily looked at that, right? Because I was sort of focused on what's going on with her mid-back and her neck. And it was just such a, a moment where I was like, okay, I could have easily just brushed that aside. And I mean, I was very close to doing that. So what was your state when you, when you were going in to see her? Were you feeling pretty relaxed? There was definitely a, you know, a comfort level with that patient. But I would say that it was interesting because I was making physical contact in terms of my, I think my hands were on her shoulders and I was just looking at her posture. And, I, and it was one of those things where I was, it was just like I wasn't in a rush, right? Like mm-hmm. I think there was this, mm-hmm. this sense of like I was 
going slow enough in terms of what I was doing to, to be able to just pick up on that and say, hey, something seems off here. And then I was able to explore that. And I said, you know what, like, I'm not sure here, you know, but the here, and then I just explained, you know, here's what I'm seeing. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. And she was, she was, she was up for that. And it was sort of a surprise to her too, but it sort of made a mark on me in terms of recognizing, man, I almost, I almost missed that. <laughs> right. Like I was, it was close. And, but yeah, like I wasn't trying to just check things off the list there because I, again, I was, I was sort of having to take that step back because I was like, well, what else is going on here? So did you, do you think you challenged an agenda that you had when you went in? Like you had a kind of a plan about what you were going to do with this person and. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't recall specifically. I mean, this is yeah. now like probably about a month ago okay, or so, yeah. but it was one of those things where, you know, her symptoms weren't necessarily resolving. We had done some, you know, work on things, uh, you know, specifically in that area, you know, it's still, it's still lingering for her. And I think it's what you said, like, I needed to take that step back and be curious to say, okay, what else is going on here? Which is hard to do because there's a bit of a vulnerability there, even in your, for yes. your, within yourself, right? Absolutely. The patient isn't necessarily recognizing because yeah. they just are sort of thinking, okay, you're just assessing, observing, whatever. But for yourself, you have to say, okay, hang on a second. Maybe I don't know exactly. Can I be open to something else that maybe is going on? Well, and you were courageous enough. I know it's, maybe it sounds like a big word, but you were, you were brave enough to go, okay, let's open this up a little bit more. It's almost like you went from this focus zoom in to this panoramic kind mm -hmm. of a lens where it's like that in itself can be big and overwhelming, but it sounds like you kept it to let's play with this. Yeah. Let's be curious and let's play. And that word play comes out too. That word that actually helps our nervous systems regulate when we're yeah. in a state of play. We're in a state where we feel safe enough to let down our guard, yeah. right? And to, to have our nervous system not be so vigilant. But you know what I mean? There's a playfulness or, or a curiosity yeah. that, that you're experimenting, right? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it obviously could have gone totally the opposite direction where <laughs> nothing would have been a benefit. But I think it was at least something that I was like, okay, I allowed myself to explore that. And I think it was even just the way I communicate with the patient. I was like, you know what? I, this may be something that's factoring in here. Let's dig a little deeper with that which sometimes can also feel a little uncomfortable. But I mean, I think that, you know, I think if there's that trust in that rapport with a patient, I think they're saying, okay, okay, you know, I'm open to that too. But it wasn't expressed because you were curious, mm -hmm. because your curiosity was piqued. You weren't coming into it with a perspective of, okay, oh my God, this patient isn't improving. I've got to figure it out. I've got to find the answer. Let's go to I'm going to lose this patient. I'm going to lose this patient. Let's figure it out. You were like, you know what? You had enough groundedness and, and experience clinical experience, but also enough awareness and intention to be able to see something and, and to go with it, right? Yeah. And follow that yeah. impulse. I'm sure there's many times where I completely miss it, <laughs> but, but it was just in that moment, it was, it was something that highlights that idea of, of that curiosity and presence to, yeah. to say, okay, I can, I can slow things down here enough to explore that. And then guiding her through her own, what's happening in your yeah. body when? When you do this or when you do that, how does that influence yeah. this, right? And it becomes very body-centric. And, and I would imagine, I haven't spoken with the patient, obviously, but, but relatively empowering to, for that patient to be able to distinguish different things. I find that, you know, something that helps me stay curious and open is this idea of thinking, okay, this is my hypothesis around a diagnosis, right? Or my clinical impression, whatever you want to call it. This is my hypothesis. This is my experiment to then see whether my treatment is going to work. You know, and sometimes I'll actually use that language with patients depending on, you know, on the particular patient. But I find that that helps me not get too stuck in terms of a particular path or direction where I can say, okay, you know what, that experiment doesn't seem to be giving the results that I was expecting. Okay, let's go back. Is that, 
you know, hypothesis is actually accurate, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have to say, you know what, I don't know. I got to have someone else come in to formulate a new hypothesis because I've, I've run out. <laughs> and then you're learning in, in new ways. This has been a great chat again. <laughs> many directions, many, many directions. tangents. Hopefully we brought, hopefully, I think Andrew did a good job of harnessing and pulling it back in because I was going. Oh yeah, no, that's good. This is, this is what these sessions are about. So thanks again for joining us today and stay tuned for the next episode, which at this point, we don't know what it's going to be about. <laughs> so, all right. Okay. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's great having you on the show today. Now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes as this just helps more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to, to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.